0: Fan drive dime, SportsNet59 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, speaking today as the dust continues to settle on a very disappointing season for the preseason Super Bowl champions. Hard to argue, though, with the uh, final four in the NFL. Probably uh the best, I would say. And um, Yeah, I would say the divisional weekend didn't quite live up to the billing as far as it's supposed to be the best weekend of the NFL season. It wasn't as close as and as wild as wild card weekend was. But like I said, Blake, it it does feel like, you know, this this league touts parody which can be good in a way, but it's also nice to see some mainstays there. And uh, certainly
1: AFC, we got that. Well, it's the March madness thing, right? You want upsets in the first weekend. Cause it's fun and exciting, but when it comes down to it, you want the best teams against each other when it, when it matters a little bit more. I think that's the same in the NFL and having a team like the giants in there, cool story, a uh, little underwhelming when you actually get to the game. It's just nice that some of the upstarts like the Jacksonville Jaguars
0: mm. actually looked competitive and, <laughs> uh, you know, look like they're here to stay. Uh, couldn't beat a hobbled Patrick Mahomes, though. Um, as that injury has resulted in the uh, Bengals being favored for this AFC Championship game in Arrowhead. All right, let's talk to Peter King, NBC Sports Football Morning in America, and uh, you were all over the uh, the place uh, on the weekend. Peter, uh, thanks for doing this. I know we couldn't hook up uh, yesterday, but you were you were two games over the weekend, which is uh, I mean you're you're like uh, George Clooney in um, uh, up in the air, where I'm sure you have like the oh, I platinum love that card. Movie. Yeah,
2: yeah. It re- I kind of reminded myself of George Clooney in that, uh, in that movie. That was good. The only thing is, I think he really loves airports. I'm not as crazy about the airport scene as George Clooney. But anyway, I got it done. I was in Philadelphia, and I was in Santa Clara, so I saw two. Uh, the first game wasn't good. The second game was interesting. It was a defensive tussle. And uh, the Cowboys, uh, I thought were, I thought their defense was very good. Everything else about their operation was awful. But yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it was a fun weekend.
0: Yeah, well, uh, we appreciate you uh, making time for us today. Let, let's start with the Bills, who I mentioned their general manager Brandon Bean uh, spoke today. And yeah, there's no shame in losing to the Bengals, I suppose. It was the manner in which I think that they lost to the Bengals. And also now this narrative about Josh Allen's elbow starting to 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 be kind of a through line in, in all of the, the post-game media conferences and apparently won't need surgery. But maybe it's it's feeling more and more like that was a bigger issue than the Bills let on.
2: I think it probably was, but... You know, and again, I don't mean to be uh, uncaring about things like that, but when you see Patrick Mahomes winning on one leg, and then you also see uh, Jalen Hurts winning with a bum shoulder, and I spent some time talking to him afterwards. Make no mistake, his shoulder is not whole. Um, I think that Buffalo has a lot more problems I shouldn't say a lot more problems. Buffalo's got more problems than just uh, Josh Allen's elbow, and I don't doubt that uh, he had to play through some pain, but they've got some other problems. I mean, just think, a year ago, they scored 83 points in eight quarters in the postseason. They were a juggernaut um, against New England and Kansas City, and this year they almost lost to a third-string quarterback at home against Miami, and then in the second playoff game, uh, they scored 10 points against the Cincinnati Bengals at home. Just, uh, I mean, you know, the, the Bills regressed this year, and they regressed not in a big way, but they did regress significantly. Last year when they lost at Kansas City a year ago this week, I think most people thought, wow, I could definitely see them winning the Super Bowl this year. And it isn't that I can't see them winning the Super Bowl next year. Of course they could. But they're farther away from winning the Super Bowl uh, in January 23 than they were in January 22.
1: So, Peter, when you look at, you know, among the things that were troubling about that game, uh, I know a lot's been made of Diggs's. Uh, leaving the the stadium pretty early, and then, uh, of course, the defense being, well, don't you want a guy to care like that? Um, more, maybe more tangibly, it did look like him and Josh Allen misconnected a couple times during that game. Maybe it was Allen's willingness to take risks in that environment or the elbow, but it's not the first time that Diggs has expressed at least a little bit of uh, unhappiness with the way that that offense has flowed at times. Um, do you make anything of that, or is this just kind of the normal quarterback, wide receiver, offensive
2: coordinator,
1: if push and pull?
2: If you're going to have Stephon Diggs on your team, you are going to deal with some mini tantrums at times. That's all there is to it. He's going to produce for you. He's a guy who uh, is just, that's who he is. And again, I do think some of it is uh, bothersome and some of it is a distraction, but I think on the other side, it's worth it. He performs, he plays really, really hard, and I agree with him. He cares deeply about it. Not everybody is a cookie-cutter player, not everybody is a cookie-cutter person, Mm -hmm. and Look, I remember years ago when I was first getting into it, how Joe Montana and Steve Young would roll their eyes about the the fits that Jerry Rice would throw when he wasn't getting the ball. You didn't necessarily see that as much on the field, but you heard about it a lot, you know, behind the curtain. And, um, you you know, that's just, you're going to have to deal with, with digs. It's to me, it is, not in the top 20 concerns I would have today about the Buffalo Bills.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about those other 19 then. Um because this is this was a team very much in win now mode. I mentioned they were the preseason Super Bowl favorites. They have a perennial MVP candidate if he hasn't won one, at quarterback in Josh Allen. His contract extension kicks in next year. They have a number of notable free agents. How do you feel better about this going forward if you're a Bills fan? Like, is is there any, like, ray of sunshine you, you can shine on this team that plays in a conference where Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes also reside?
2: Everybody in Buffalo should feel good about the fact that every year you go to training camp with a healthy Josh Allen, you've got a chance to play deep into the season. And that... So in that way, you're better off than 25, 26, 27 other teams in football every year. But the other issues that I have with Buffalo is uh, are that they spent a lot of money last year on Von Miller. He's going to be another year older, and it's hard to think that he's going to stay healthy for a full season. That's going to be difficult for him because it has been in recent years. Um, and now you've got to figure out which ones of these free agents you're going to keep, who you're going to let go, uh, and also what in the world are you going to do about getting some more weapons on that offense for Josh Allen? If you look at Kansas City, <clears throat> Kansas City went out after losing Tyreek Hill. They got Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, Kadarius uh others – And they were actually more explosive this year than last year. That is a big deal. And now you look at the bills and I thought the bills were getting ready for the explosion of Gabe Davis. And he was going to have a a truly great year. He caught 48 balls. He was not a great player. We might've overrated Gabe Davis. So but e- even if you didn't overrate Gabe Davis, the fact that late in the year they had to bring back John Brown and late in the year they have to bring back Cole Beasley, what does that say to you? It says they don't have enough weapons on their roster as it's currently constituted, and Brandon Bean is going to have to beat the bushes, shake the trees, uh, figure out ways to get two or three more weapons to help Josh Allen on offense at least two I would say
1: the other potential concern for the bills in addition to that Miami team that that took them to the wire looking pretty good uh, the New York Jets a really good defense a pretty young team maybe a quarterback away in uh, football morning in America this week you threw the Jets out there as a potential uh, Aaron Rodgers suitor what do you like about that potential fit and, and you know, I know there's a lot of, there are a lot of cap complications around an Aaron Rodgers trade, um but the Jets do seem like one of the teams positioned to potentially make that work.
2: The Jets have a very desperate owner in Wood Johnson who knows that uh it's been a half century since they had their quarterback position really resolved for any length of time. And so there aren't many teams that you can look at to say Well, they haven't really had a real good quarterback for the last half century, but you can say that about the Jets. So, and look, I mean, Chad Pennington's not bad, but he's not anybody's thought about having a long-term answer for 15 years. So, and neither is Aaron Rodgers, obviously. He's 39 years old. But to me, the only reason why, through the Jets out there, is that Woody Johnson at the end of the season said, We've got to, you know, do something, uh, whatever he said about the quarterback situation. We've got to solve it, blah, blah, blah. Well, obviously they've got to solve it. This would be a way to solve it if they could convince Rodgers that they're close to winning. And look, when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in early 2020 uh, signed Tom Brady, nobody thought they were winning the Super Bowl that year. Other than maybe me, because I picked to go to the Super Bowl that year, (laughs) but be that as it may, you know, the the New York Jets right now have a defense that can play with any team in football. They beat the Buffalo Bills in New Jersey this year playing Zach Wilson. So this is a team that can be competitive right now if they've got a solid quarterback. And I have to think that that's a good uh, – that it could be. It could be. It's all I'm saying. It could be. If Aaron Rodgers moves, if I were Wood Johnson, I'd want to be in that game.
0: Yeah. Aaron Rodgers' contract is real complicated. Like, he's slated to earn almost $60 million bucks next year. But as as you wrote about in your Football Morning in America column, as, as Adam Schefter has talked about, that this is – it's not untenable for the Packers to move him – if it's the Jets or somebody else, like would you would you say that it's like a likely scenario that Aaron Rodgers has moved this offseason?
2: I don't I don't know. I mean, here's what I know. I respect Adam Schefter above all news gatherers right now covering the NFL. He doesn't throw stuff at the wall. When he says there's a real significant possibility that, that Rodgers can be traded, I take that seriously. And if he's going to be traded, where are the places? that not only have a desperate need for a quarterback, but are willing to spend. It would cost $48 million the next two years on the salary cap. That is not an overwhelming number. And the Jets are one of the teams that can afford them. Washington could afford them. There's quite a few teams, I think, that would be interested who could afford them. The problem becomes, what are you going to trade to try to make it happen? And that's where, uh, you know, if Aaron Rodgers has more than one suitor, uh, the the Packers might be able to get more than what anybody would think would be right. Like, for instance, I just took a guess. I have no idea what it would be. But I took a guess, and my guess was two ones. <laughs> uh, I don't think the Jets, it's especially I think Joe Douglas, the GM, Might not want to pay that, but I think that the owner of the team might say, listen, we've been farting around at the quarterback position for too long, and the guy we just drafted number two uh, two years ago uh, doesn't look like he's the guy he might be, but it doesn't look like he is. Let's go get Aaron Rodgers and remove all doubt right now.
3: Mm
0: I mean, yeah, it would if it was the Aaron Rodgers from two years ago who was winning an MVP. But also two years ago, and I, I get it. There's a separation in age. Uh, Tom Brady finished second in MVP voting. He's going to be 46. This was a thought experiment we had last week, Peter. Because uh, if you go after Tom Brady, it costs you nothing. He's, he's a free agent, and he's obviously going to yeah. be on, on a one-year deal. Would you would you give up the asset that it would uh, the assets that it would take to one trade for Aaron Rodgers and then have that onerous contract? Uh, for a about to be 40-year-old Aaron Rodgers, or would you just roll the dice that that Tom Brady at 46 can do something that he did kind of recently, like two years ago, he was real, real good. He was bad this year on a bad Bucks team. What would you feel more comfortable doing?
2: i feel more comfortable with Rodgers just because of his age. Um, but I don't know. You know, Brady is just a total absolute outlier. Um, I would really be curious. I'd want to know what Brady's mindset is before I signed him. Um, there's a lot about Brady that just looks like it might be over. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, if you, if you sign Brady, you're taking a risk. Hey, you're taking a risk with Rogers too, but I just think Rogers has a chance to give you a couple of pretty good years right now. I'm just not convinced what Brady can do right now.
1: So that's looking ahead to the off season and next year. Let's recenter it on what's going to take place this weekend. We got Chiefs against Bengals, Mahomes versus Burrow. Uh, two guys who are not. 40 and 45 uh, who are right in their primes there. Um, Burrow obviously has the track record against Kansas city. Mahomes, meanwhile, in his fifth straight AFC title game. Um, what are you looking for from this one? Do you, do you see anything to the Bengals having had Casey's number a little bit the last couple of years?
2: Well, I mean, in the last 13 months, Cincinnati is three and oh against Kansas city. Now, People who love Kansas City would say, well, they've beaten us by a field goal each time. Am I supposed to think that doesn't count (laughs) or that, that that somehow diminishes the fact that they've beaten Kansas City twice in Kansas City in the last 13 months? I mean, let's face it. In my opinion, Kansas City was rooting hard for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Hard. And they didn't get it. They didn't get that win. Now, Buffalo did beat Kansas City this year earlier in the year, but, you know, it isn't like what they faced with the Bengals, you know, recently. So I think the biggest factor in this game is that Joe Burrow played nearly a perfect game the other day. And he got the ball out very fast so that the biggest assets of the Chiefs, other than Mahomes, who toppled, is that they have a really good defensive front led by Chris Jones and Frank Clark. Chris Jones was the 2022 version of Aaron Donald in 2021. And, you know, he had a great, great year. But what Joe Burrow did the other day is get rid of the ball very quickly. He knows he's got three subs on his offensive line, and it worked very well. Joe Burrow, to me, is just... uh, uh, i mean uh look, it's too early to be to go absolutely nuts about this for sure, but uh, I do think that Joe burrow has got a very good chance to be the best quarterback in the history of that franchise
0: yeah i i isn't it kind of hard not to call him the best quarterback in the n f l if he... Beats Patrick Mahomes yet again. He's four and zero against him. He would have to win a Super Bowl, but I mean, if he does that, if 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 they if they win this AFC Championship game in a, in a rematch, also in Arrowhead, and then goes to a Super Bowl and wins it, I know it's only one, but Patrick Mahomes only only has one as well. He has a, a secondary appearance, and as Blake said, he's got five straight AFC championships. You know the yeah. weird
2: thing about what you're setting up right now is that you know on Thursday night of Super Bowl week, Patrick Mahomes is going to win the MVP. It'll be a second MVP. Let's just say the Bengals are at the Super Bowl. I know what I'd think if I were Joe Burrow. I would think, now I've beaten this guy four times in the last 14 months, (laughs) and I can't get a sniff of the MVP. What is that all about? And obviously the MVP is not a postseason award. It's a regular season award. And Patrick Mahomes threw for over 5,000 yards. With almost a brand new wide receiver cast, virtually, other than McCole Hardman, a uh, the wide receiver cast that they invented out of whole cloth in this off season. So I think that I I voted for Mahomes. I think he deserves it. But that isn't the point. The point is how many people on the Bengals will view it as just another slap at Mahomes. But Seriously, if if Burrow wins this game on Sunday night, I think there's a good chance I'm going to write my column that there's a new sheriff in town at the top of the quarterback standings, and his name is Joe Burrow.
0: Yeah, hard to argue with it. Uh, Brock Purdy's a ways away from that, but yeah, let's before we let you go, talk about the NFC Championship game, and I mean, there's to me, there's only one comparable. I mean, talking about Mr. Irrelevant, we already talked about Tom Brady, 199th <laughs> overall selection, I mean... Can you go back twenty plus years and and talk about? I mean, he he took over week two, I suppose. Um, in in yeah. in, in two thousand one, Brady did before uh, coming up with that surprising Super Bowl victory over the greatest show on turf. Like, is that is that sticking out as your in your mind? Is the only comparable to what Brock Purdy might
2: be doing? The interesting setup to this is to get to the Super Bowl in two thousand one, the Patriots had to go to Pittsburgh as an underdog and beat the Steelers to get the Super Bowl in order to play the Rams. They did that and then won. Um and so look, Brock Purdy would be doing a lot of the same. You know, the storyline would be the same. The other weird part of that is that Brady got hurt in that game and Bledsoe had to come in and get the Mariano Rivera save. Um but they gave the ball back to Brady who did beat the Rams, and then there was no more quarterback competition. And I think in this particular case, there's probably no more quarterback competition either. Brock Purdy is going to enter next year at training camp uh, with the job, and he might get pushed at some point by Trey Lance, but I doubt he's going to get pushed right at the beginning by Trey Lance. And I think the whole issue right now with Brock Purdy is that You know, he realizes who he is and he understands that his biggest strength is have long drives, protect the ball. And I find this to be amazing about Brock Purdy. He's played eight games. He's actually started seven, he's played fifty five minutes of the other one. So in other words, he's played eight games as an NFL quarterback. Mm -hmm. Do you realize how odd it is that he's played eight games? He has never fumbled. Never mind having a lost fumble. He has never fumbled the ball in eight games. And he's thrown three interceptions. Now, that is the definition of uh, a quarterback doing everything that he needs to do to get his team in the win column. You never turn it over. You play efficiently. You have a high completion percentage. And you're able to take a big hit and get back up. That's been Brock Purdy. Everybody keeps waiting for him to fail. He wasn't spectacular the other day, but he was good enough to win a defensive slugfest, and he vastly outplayed Dak Prescott.
0: Oh, so, yeah.
2: everybody who's still waiting for Brock Purdy to fail or to slip on a banana peel, I think you're going to be. He might lose this weekend, <laughs> but it won't be, be. In my opinion, anyway, I don't think it'll be because he plays lousy.
0: No, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's an yep. unbelievable, unbelievable story. Peter, uh, thanks again for doing this. Appreciate it.
2: No problem. Enjoyed it, guys. Have a great week.
0: You too. There's Peter King, NBC Sports, football morning in America. Well, we have uh, a little bit of news that we're going
1: to talk about in our next segment. Mm-hmm. Big baseball news, of course. Uh, the Red Sox DFA Matt Barnes. Nah, seven and a half million on his contract. <laughs> uh, no, but before we – the Hall of Fame results – are out. Yeah. Next segment, we'll talk about a man who was once a young cardinal. Mm. For now though, Alexa on fire coming to Budweiser stage this summer, June 16th. We're giving away tickets all week long. I uh, kind of gave it away. Young Cardinals is gonna be today's code word, but mm. let me uh let me get to That was good. That was not the segue that I had planned. I had a Lars Newt bar one mm. ready to go, but Scott Rowland makes the Hall of Fame. You Yes, sir. You uh you change it up on the fly. Anyway, Alexa on fire. Coming to Bud Stage this summer, June sixteenth. We're giving away tickets all week long. All you have to do: tune into the Fan Drive Time every day this week. Listen for the code word, and then text that code word to five ninety five ninety, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. Uh, they're playing with my guys in Pup as well as Mets. Today's code word is Young Cardinals. Text Young Cardinals to five ninety five ninety right now for your chance to win. Uh, we're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. And if you don't win with us, make sure you uh, look at Ticketmaster.ca Friday at 10 a.m. If you uh, sw- strike out with us and strike out on the presale today, uh, more tickets coming out Friday at 10 a.m. Ticketmaster.ca. Young Cardinals to five ninety five ninety for a pair. Uh, do you want to take a break and then talk about
0: your guy, Scott Rowland? I love Scott Rowland. Uh, He's sourpuss, uh, but it was like... I don't know, it worked for him. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, uh, yeah, we'll take a break. Scott Rowland's the only inducted. well, he'll go in with Fred McGriff, who was not elected by the writers, but uh, he he was the only one elected by the writers today. We'll talk to a guy that traded for him and then traded him away, I think, under duress. Uh, J.P. Ricciardi joins us next to talk about Scott Rowland going into the Hall of Fame as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
2: Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: right, fan drive time. Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. And no offense to Matt Chapman, but... Scott Rowland, best defensive third baseman the Blue Jays have ever employed. Uh, They can now say that they used to employ a Hall of Famer elected by the baseball writers today. The only inductee elected by the writers uh, as Fred McGriff going in as well, elected by a committee. Uh, Let's talk to a man who traded for a Hall of Famer. J.P. Ricciardi, former Blue Jays GM, uh, currently special advisor to the president of baseball operations for the San Francisco Giants. How's it going, J.P.? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Um, so tell us what you thought of Scott Rowland when you traded Troy Gloss to, to go out and get him.
3: Well, I think uh, beyond the fact that he's such a great player, um, Scott might have been one of the, the best guys I've ever been around as far as a professional. Um, this guy was definitely raised the right way. Uh, played the game with so much class and had so much respect for the game and the way it should be played, held others accountable for how they should play the game. I mean, the consummate professional, so, so happy for him, well-deserved. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have uh, when we had him in Toronto. And, uh, you know, it was almost a gift that kept on giving because Gloss played so well for us. We were able to trade Roland, uh, Gloss for Roland. Roland played well for us. And then we were able to trade Roland for Encarnacion and he played well. So it was, it was kind of like uh, a three headed monster with those guys, but um, I'm just so happy for Scott. He's just, he's a great, great guy. You know, you think of those blue Jay teams and for me, uh, Carlos Delgado, uh, Roy Halladay, Frank Thomas, Scott Roland. I mean, I could go on and on, but you know, we had some pretty good teams, but we had some better people. And, uh, Scott was right at the top of the
1: list. Now I know Troy gloss got the occasional appearance over at shortstop and that's not something Scott Rowland got to do, uh, but Scott Rowland pretty resoundingly considered one of the best defensive third baseman. We've seen eight time gold Glover. Uh, when you look around at, at the third baseman you've had on your team or just that you've gotten to watch up close, where does he rank for you? Just Like I immediately think of the smoothness at third base, when I think of Scott Rowland,
3: well, you know, I was scouting before I became the GM of the Blue Jays, so I got to see Rowland when he was coming up, when he was a young, young player in A ball, Double A, and Triple A with the uh, with the Phillies, and so I really had a long history of watching him play, and I think uh, what stood out for me was his consistency. As far as if you hit the ball with Scott Rowland, you were out, and yep. you know you don't you don't say that about a lot of guys. I think you guys are seeing Chapman now; he's a good third baseman as well. Uh, but one of the most amazing things I'll never forget this about Scott Rowland was I actually brought my two boys out to watch him in spring training all the time, and I never saw Scott Rowland all spring training and pre pregame workouts and stuff. He never threw a ball above Lyle over base head at first base. <laughs> It was was always at the shoulders, at the chest, or right at Lyle's face. Lyle never had a move. And this was every day, day in and day out. He probably threw maybe 20 to 25 a day over there. Never once did you ever see Roland throw a ball away. And I think, you know, what made him such a good player was he practiced the way he was going to play. And he had a very set regimen about how he went about doing his work. And uh, on top of the fact that this is a big man, 6'4", 200. And very, very athletic and very, very good first-step quickness. So, you know, you combine those things with a really good hands and the ability to throw and, to, you know, to be athletic. Uh, I mean, it, that's why you have Gold Glovers, and he's obviously was one of the best
0: no he was amazing yeah, incredible incredible to watch uh he was very dour to, to, from the outside looking in and it worked for him jp i guess he was very serious about his craft but i mean you can speak to, to him as a like i don't know if i ever saw him smile <laughs> as a blue jay and yeah, obviously the, the the it didn't end uh, all that great with the, a team that was very much disappointed but yeah um he just seemed very serious and i guess it works for some guys it worked for him
3: yeah I think you know another guy when you when you got to know him uh you know what he shows publicly and what he is privately is is probably two different things but um uh, he did he took his he took his craft serious and I mean how many times did you see Roy Halliday smile? Yeah, uh, not many you know, It wasn't like he was smiling all the time and, and Frank Thomas, I put him in that category too I mean you know very few guys uh that are good at their craft. You know, they want to be good at what they do. They want to prepare the way they want to prepare. They have a set routine. They don't want someone to bug them doing it. And, you know, you just had to know when the time was to to talk to these guys. And I thought Roland was very intelligent. I think his mother was a a, a teacher. Uh, He was well-read, you know, easy to talk to, but, you know, highly intelligent. And uh, he definitely had a sense of humor about him. He just didn't let his guard down too often.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about how it ended? And and you mentioned it. Yeah, uh, you you turned it over nicely by acquiring a guy who ended up being a franchise icon in uh, Edwin Encarnacion. But obviously, like I said, that was a a disappointing Blue Jays team. Um, And I'm sure he didn't enjoy playing on a team that didn't have postseason aspirations. But yeah, uh, how did it end uh, in Toronto with Scott Rowland?
3: Well... I don't think it ended poorly. I think it just we had an opportunity to trade him to, to, to what we thought was going to upgrade from the position. I think Scott's power was down a little bit at that point. I think his back was bugging him. Uh, he was really hoping to get off the turf. Uh, he didn't like playing on the turf. And we had an opportunity just to turn it into uh, to Encarnacion and, you know, a couple of other guys. Uh, so, you know, it was just advantageous for us to be able to move him. And, and we, were, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to, you know, to get a guy that ended up having a great career in Toronto.
1: So there's a, to pivot off of Roland a little bit, there are a couple of near misses on the ballot as well. Uh, Helton just off by 11 votes. Uh, Wagner, who's been kind of a weird story of maybe we've changed how we evaluate and appreciate relievers. He's gone from almost falling off the ballot to now 68%. Um, Andrew Jones up there as well. Is there anyone on there who who didn't make it, but remains on the ballot that you feel very strongly belongs in the Hall with Scott
3: Rowland and the others? I don't know the list off the top of my head. Uh, I have a hard time believing any of those guys you just mentioned uh, are not deserving of being on. I, I don't understand how Billy Wagner, you know, he he to me should be a slam dunk. Um, listen, it, it's. I guess it just depends on how, how you view the players, and, and it almost has to be a groundswell. I mean, you could expand this. I could tell you two players I think should be in the Hall of Fame right now that I think Kenny Lofton should be in the Hall of Fame, and I think Dave Concepcion should be in the Hall of Fame. But you never even hear about those guys. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously a tough club to get into, but those guys you mentioned, they're all deserving of being there. I, I, I scouted Helton uh, when he was in high school and when he was in college and obviously very deserving of being there. Billy Wagner, I've seen since the time he was in, in college at Firm uh, State in Virginia. Um, so I, I got a history with a lot of those guys and, and what they went on and, and did as major league players. It's just hard to believe that they can't get in.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, um, just one player going in this year, but, um, yeah, that's it, yeah, so. right. Yes. Right. Uh, one elected by the writers and it is uh, Scott Rowland today, former Toronto Blue Jay traded for by uh, JP Ricciardi. JP, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, guys. Take care. You too. This is JP Ricciardi, former Blue Jays GM, currently special advisor to the president of baseball operations with the San Francisco Giants. I'm glad you mentioned Kenny Lofton. Kenny
1: Lofton's is one of my favorite um, Hall of Fame argument cases because if you look at any of the – so baseball reference has a number of uh, Hall of Fame – they try to project a bunch of of Hall of Fame things, and um Adam Dorowski, who now works for uh, sports reference, he used to do um his own kind of Hall of Fame thing that that he's a baseball historian and he used to try to quantify these things too. And Kenny Lofton comes out as like almost the exact average. Hall of Fame center fielder. Yeah. It's like, well, if you're an average Hall of Fame center fielder, <laughs> you should be in the hall, right? You should be
0: well inside
1: the um, hall. But he's like just like a fraction of a war off here and there. Mm. Um, so he's almost like like if you were arguing with a center, for a center fielder, it's like in the NBA it's become, if you're a guard, it's like, okay, you got to beat Mitch Richmond's case to get in. Right. That's a low bar. Yeah. The Kenny Lofton bar is extremely high. If you're a center fielder, you know, we're talking 600-plus uh, stolen bases four gold gloves a whole bunch of all-stars uh, and like 17 years in the league so I, I love the Kenny Lofton part of the debate I, I think probably given how much Billy Wagner's support has increased the last couple of years you probably see him go in pretty soon mm-hmm. uh, he's sitting at 68% Todd Helton's an interesting one because any of the any,
0: he missed by 11 votes this year is yeah. that the deal?
1: Yeah, the Colorado stuff is always so hard to guess how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, even when you adjust for Coors Field, that's a guy who had some absolute monster seasons as well as some gold gloves himself over at first base.
0: Yeah, I mean, the David Ortiz thing, I mean, kind of again, if we're talking about baselines and yeah, postseason season. Uh, performance does impact, I think, your Hall of Fame case, and it should. And Todd yeah, Helton, a World
1: Series MVP if you're David Ortiz.
0: Yeah, playing in irrelevance for most of his career in Colorado probably doesn't hurt or doesn't help Todd yeah. Helton. Uh, it's, it's also – that's a weird one because, like, with some
1: franchises, I think the – I spent my whole career in one uniform, mm-hmm. one jersey number on the little baseball reference jersey number <laughs> graphic – I think with some guys that helps, but because the Rockies were so bad for so long or so not even bad, just so like not important. He, he played 15 career playoff games. Yeah. Um, but also there's the element of the core's field of it all. Yeah. And how we adjust for that. And I mean, not that everything's a statistical debate, but it's like without the, without any big playoff moments without I mean that 2000, his 2000 season he probably had a good argument for for MVP just statistically with 59 doubles and hitting 372
0: um but yeah it's hard to make like a compassion like a passionate Todd Helton case no because he plays a premium offensive position in first base and yeah he was Peyton Manning's uh, backup at Tennessee that's cool um but yeah, the counting stats don't not even have 400 home runs uh, in a place where – and I know Coors Field does not just inflate your home run totals. It's actually probably more beneficial to you in batting average than it is for for home run totals. It's um, You kind of got to blow people away statistically if you're going to play the majority of your career – in a place like that, um, and I don't – I listen, I, I'm not crestfallen that to Todd Helton's not going he's, into the Hall of Fame. Also, he's going to get in. Like, he missed
1: by 11 votes, and he's yeah.
0: going to be back on the ballot next year. Yeah, last thing on on the Scott Rowland thing, again, the, the best defensive third baseman I've ever seen, and obviously B- Brooks Robinson is before my time. I was going to ask J.P. Ricciardi about Brooks Robinson, but he was like 17 when Robinson retired. So, I mean, maybe would have seen highlights, I suppose – on, on television. That shouldn't be the the one... Like, if you're the best defender at one position in your generation, I don't think necessarily that should be enough to get you into the Hall of Fame. But if you're, like, a well-above-average offensive player and the best defender at your position of a generation, yeah. like...
1: Look, Ray, when I was a kid, Ray Ordonez was my favorite baseball player because he was just a highlight machine at shortstop for the Mets. Mm-hmm. Uh Going back and looking at his stats, no, you could not make the case, despite a really good rookie season and three gold gloves uh, and a real claim to be the best defensive shortstop in the National League in the late 90s there, uh, if you could not hit enough to even hold down your job despite yeah. annual gold gloves... You don't have a Hall of Fame case. If you were 30% above league average at the dish and lasted uh, 100 years in, in the majors like Scott Rowland did,
0: yeah, you got a real good case. Yeah, it's funny. We do like the dour face thing. Yeah, I, I play it both ways because, listen, did I like Kelly Johnson that he was always dour? Nah. But you know what? If you performed better, I think people would have accepted the Kelly Johnson uh, bad face thing a little bit more. Scott Rowland looked like he cared, uh, never smiled, Was the best defender at his position and hit, um, even when he was injured in that first season, he was banged up. And as JP mentioned, on his way out the door was banged up as well. His old uh, body and his old bones taking a beating on the uh, Rogers Center turf. Uh, Congratulations to Scott Rowland, his Hall of Fame induction. Man, Brooks Robinson with the sixteen consecutive gold gloves
1: at third. Imagine being in the American League at that time and being like a really good third baseman, and knowing you just don't have a prayer at winning the gold glove.
0: Yeah, Uh, and despite Matt Chapman's platinum glove, Nolan Arenado's the the best defender. Yeah, he's the best defender at that position. Like I think ten in a row. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Nolan Arenado's on very much a Hall of Fame trajectory at the moment. Here's a... This is a quick trivia question for you, and it's unfair, but I'm going to do it anyway.
1: Scott Rowland won his last gold glove in 2010 for the mm-hmm. Cincinnati Reds. Nolan Arenado has won all 10 since 2013. Do you have any guess at who won the two in between? Between 2010 and... 2013 what? when Arenado took over. So there's 2011 and
0: 2012. Uh One was
1: a Philly, one was a Padre. Uh,
0: yeah no I have no idea Placido
1: Polanco and Chase Headley all right Chase Headley sure switch hitter right Uh the gatekeeper or the not gatekeepers but the the changeovers before the Nolan Arenado era
0: yeah Placido Polanco had uh a moment for the Tigers as well if I recall anyways yeah. all right um before, before we go here this was something we were kicking around in in the newsroom before we came on air today and it's 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 something that I thought about before, and especially considering the local nine here employs a bunch of second generation baseball players. Um, So Bronny James and Andre Stojakovic, who I I didn't realize was uh, a rising uh, basketball star in the high school ranks. Bronny James, of course, LeBron James, son are McDonald's all Americans. So the among the best high school basketball players in the United States and Canada, in the world, because Canadians are eligible, apparently, mm-hmm. to play in this game. So there's two rosters, and they play in a game. Basically, an all-star game of the, the the best high school basketball players in the world. And we've heard about Bronny forever. And, yeah, you want to drop Bronny because you get LeBron, too, seemingly. I mean, he's, like, legitimately
1: a first-round caliber prospect. I guess. But, yeah, if you get LeBron with it uh, and the jersey sales and the attention and stuff like that that comes with it, that would be a thing. Look, I'll say this. Carlos Boozer has twin sons that are eventually going to be in the draft as well. And, and um, one of his twin sons is like considered probably the best prospect in the world under 17 right now. You are not drafting either one of them because you get Carlos Boozer as a <laughs> as a dad with it. Um, Carlos Boozer obviously not in the league still, but... You get my point. There is a little bit of hey, there are, there have been extra eyes on Bronny on the way up because he's LeBron's son, but he is also on merit a first round caliber prospect.
0: Okay, yeah, cuz if he was borderline, you could see McDonald's like uh, nudging the old voters and saying, "You you get Bronny oh, on your te- on this sure. team." And like if he were only a fringy prospect, what we'd hear a lot
1: of is, "Well, maybe you use a second round pick on him." and like kind of force LeBron's hand to join you. Like a first round pick is a pretty big asset to just like make a play for a year of late career. LeBron James like he's, he's a prospect on his own as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's a second generation. He will be an NBA. I don't know. Star player though. And so will Andre Stojakovic, his father, Peja, uh, uh one of the great sharpshooters of all time in uh, NBA Raptors. History. Legend. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know he was here for a minute, right? Yeah, I guess. You have blocked that out of your memory? No, pretty much. Oh, man. All right. uh, Those two games didn't mean much to you. No, and they should have. Um, So this is something, again, that we've seen locally as the Blue Jays employ Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Kevin Biggio, all second-generation baseball players. Now, the history of pro sports in North America, like, honestly, isn't that long. Like, it's maybe 100-ish years for basketball. It's even shorter than that. And, like, the way we consume it now is, what, 30 years? Like, would you say, like, the 90s or when sports took on the outsized importance that they have right now? I don't and know. I wasn't alive before that, so I don't really know what... Uh, yeah, but you, you you you've, you know, read enough and understand enough about yeah, the you. history of pro sports that people weren't exactly making hundreds of millions of dollars before the 90s. But after the 90s, the salaries went up and up and up and up and up, and you were like a, a a corporation unto yourself as a pro athlete certainly now, right?
1: And so I think what you're getting at is there is an element of not only is there a genetic component to having, you know, professional athlete caliber parents, and we see those stories, and it's not just it – doesn't have to be baseball, baseball, or basketball, basketball. It can be, you know, just – very, very athletic parents or whatever. But there is also with the money and with the extra eyeballs and attention, there becomes an element of access and training and coaching at, from a very young age. And we know like, you know, if, a if your kid, if you have to choose tomorrow, Hey, is your kid going to play triple a and you're, you have to do the money and the travel and all that, Or is he going to play select? Well, even if he's as good as those AAA kids right now, those AAA kids are going to get more ice time. They're going to have ostensibly better coaching, more access to other factors in training, and then the gap will widen. And so you're taking these second-generation or third-generation athletes who probably have an advantage out of the
0: gate. Mm -hmm. Genetically, and then then you're throwing all the money in the world and the infrastructure and the know-how and the connections that in, like... Thirty I'm, years will we have non second generation yeah. and third generation? Like I'm trying uh, pro to speak carefully
1: stars. about the, the genetic side of things because that can get ugly really quickly. But um yeah, like Steph Curry's dad was the best shooter in the NBA before Steph Curry you, was. Yeah,
0: I think, you know, Steph Curry being able to step onto an NBA court before or like during a practice uh, or during yeah. shoot around and like shoot on an NBA hoop and like, you know, hear from his dad who was, again, as you mentioned, one of the best shooters in the NBA like that. I think that might have helped and yeah. so not to mention my,
1: the millions of dollars. One of my favorite wrestling stables of all time was Legacy, which was a, a group of not second familiar. and third generation. so Ted Didi Jr. Oh, really? Uh, Cody Rhodes, the son of Dusty Rhodes, really? and and Randy Orton, whose dad and grandfather were both wrestling. I feel so. like
0: we're on a run of talking about wrestling on every show for the last
1: while, buddy. Have you met me?
0: I know, I know. I'm just yeah. No, well done by
1: you to, to, to shoehorn it in. So, so plus tonight's you're uh, on on Sports at 360. Your kids get their NXT tonight. Nice. So uh, anyway, anyway, I pulled some some numbers. Oh, you have some you. numbers.
0: Yes. I, okay, back my argument up. I always numbers. do.
1: Oh, well, I can't really back it up because we can't control for these things. It's not like you can take Bronny and be like, okay, well, here's a Bronny getting all the opportunities and here's a Bronny not getting all the opportunities. <laughs> um, it's like, uh, what was that, parent trap kind of
0: thing? Never
1: seen it. Uh, anyway, in the NBA, we have had nine third-generation players and 100 second-generation players. That, given the NBA has a more recent history than baseball and hockey, that that's pretty notable that we've already got into third generation stuff. And uh, it's it, the smallest rosters. Yes. And in the NFL, we have had 141 second generation players, which you'd expect with the larger rosters, even though the NFL hasn't been around that long, a sixth third generation. The NHL is where it gets interesting. Uh, we've had a fourth generation with Blake Jeffery on for the uh, Montreal Canadiens a couple of years ago. Uh, 11 third generation and a whopping 242 second generation. Again, you'd think because hockey's been around so long, there's more room for that to... It's
0: also cost prohibitive.
1: Yeah, and it's been like not as much now, but like historically it was fairly localized in Canada where Mm -hmm. like the pool of potential players you're pulling from. is maybe smaller, Uh, the league was also really small for a long time though. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then baseball is where you, you know, the big rosters has been around for so long. Uh, There are five third generation families, 252 second generation and a handful of potential fourth generation players currently in the minor leagues. So Mm -hmm. uh, that'll make, people feel old i'd imagine i'm surprised the number wasn't a little higher for baseball but also to be clear i'm dealing with like i'm trying to figure this out through wikipedia and baseball reference <laughs> and stuff like that i'm not i i did not go through like everyone's birth certificates but generally mlb and nhl a long history of second generations nfl and nba it's a little newer but in all of them we're starting to see third generation and now in the NHL, for
0: well, but but what would really be interesting for me to know and for you to find out because you're Mister Research, Mister Numbers, is the ratio like is it getting higher like the 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 ratio of of second and third and fourth generation players amongst the pool of the normies, the the nepo babies, are they taking over? I think like because A- it feels like they anecdotally, are anecdotally, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, that's too much work. Even, Come for, on. even for me, that's a, that's a lot of right. stuff to just for a one-minute piece of radio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd appreciate it, though. So anyone listening uh, with time on their hands and wants to do that, please please, uh, please inform me of uh, the realities of the Nepo babies in our pro sports. All right, time now for Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Uh, let's dive deeper into uh, Championship Sunday as uh, the Eagles are two-and-a-half-point favorites over Brock Purdy and the Niners in Philadelphia. Uh, We got the Bengals now favored at Arrowhead. I think the Chiefs opened up as like a one-point favorite, but now the Bengals are one-and-a-half-point favorites with the uncertainty surrounding Patrick Mahomes, I suppose, and also the fact that the Bengals are really good and have beaten that team three straight times. Uh, Super Bowl odds right now, Eagles. At the top of the board, plus 250. Chiefs and Bengals tied at plus 260. And the Niners uh, bringing up the bronze medal position at plus 340. That was Last Call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. I hope I didn't, you know, insult all you Nepo babies out there. But yeah, somebody figure that out. Because I I think we're headed to a world where it's only the sons and daughters of pro athletes that play in pro sports. We'll be back tomorrow. See ya.